Hello and welcome to the podcast. My guest today is Dr. Jess Ponting, who does many, many things within the surf park space. Most notably among them is he's a partner in the Surf Park Summit, an event coming up in just a few short weeks. And we thought we'd have him on the show today to share with our listeners what Surf Park Summit can do for the developers and dreamers out there building wave pool, surf park, and uh, yeah, we're going to jump right into it. So Jess, it's good to see you. Thank you for coming back on the Waypool Mag podcast. It's great to see you too, Brian. It's been a while. It's nice to see your face. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, yeah. We uh, usually see each other once a year, Surf Park Summit. And um, this podcast is a little bit of a uh, preamble to that and leading up to it, which is just in, in six weeks. Um but before we jump into that, I wanted to dial it back and go go in about um, just who you are, so our audience knows, in case they're not familiar with you just yet. But um, you're the founder of the International Association of Surfing Academics, founder and director of uh, SDSU Center for Surf Research, associate professor in sustainable tourism at uh, San Diego State University. And yes, I read that off of, <laughs> off of and um, more importantly, Jess, what did I, what did I leave out? Um, you left out, um, Stoke certified, which is a sustainability yes. certification that we have for surf resorts, destinations, ski areas, ski resorts, um, surf schools, and importantly, surf parks as well as um, being a co-founder of Surf Park Central and mm -hmm. Surf Park Summit. So I've been doing this Surf Park thing for 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. Surf Park Central really now is functioning as a, an industry association of surf park developers. So we host uh, the annual Global Summit. We have a membership product for those who are developing and supplying surf parks, and we produce uh, original research and reports to support the industry. That's right. Last year, we um, I, I was privileged enough to, to have a quick look at your um, research paper that you did in conjunction with uh, Surfline to bring some numbers to, to people proposing to do surf parks and it, it kind of quantified the value of surfing um, as a business in a lot of areas. And maybe for people who weren't uh, familiar with just what surfing can do. Um, I want to jump into that because I'm still fascinated with it. Um, how did how did the paper come about and how did it um, how, how did it work for the people who used it? Yeah, so um, you're referring to the 2023 Consumer Trends Report uh, that we put yes. out earlier this year, and it's really a, an aggregation of um, a few different rounds of research as well as um, publicly available data from um, government agencies in different geographies and some um, kind of behind paywall industry studies as well. 
So I did mm-hmm. surveys in 2015, 2016, and 22, 2022, sorry. Um, all, you know, kind of thousand plus response rates, so pretty reasonable data. And then we were also able to access some of Surfline's um, data from the US, the UK and Australia with sample sizes up to 120,000. So they're kind of have uh, the survey nuclear device under their control and right. it's 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 pretty fun and exciting to be able to work with Surfline on on some of those numbers that just feel really really solid that haven't really uh, been available to people in the past. So that's kind of how the whole thing came together. And um, so I was comparing in a lot of cases changes in consumer trends and attitudes from 2015. Mm -hmm. The survey that I conducted then was done after the opening of Surf Snowdonia, but before the December drop of the KS Wave Co video that uh, shook the earth and turned mm-hmm. things upside down in terms of customer or public perceptions of surf parks. And so I did another survey the next year. It showed a pretty wild and radical difference. And then uh, from 2016 to 2022, those um, perceptions have really only become more extreme as everybody's seen a video from a surf park that took their breath away in the meantime. So there's very little resistance left to the notion that surf park waves are incredibly high um, quality. Wow. And and that brings us to uh, some of the work you've been doing with uh, Surf Park Central and Surf Park Summit. So as we approach the 10th anniversary of Surf Park Summit, uh, which is coming up September 18th and 20th in San Diego. Um, maybe you can share with our audience, a lot of people don't quite understand, well, what is Surf Park Summit? What can I mm-hmm. get out of it? Um, basically, what what is it? Can you can you share that with our audience? Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it's changed a bit. I, I mentioned before, we've been doing this for 10 years. So this is actually our 10th anniversary Surf Park Summit this year. And we've evolved over time to be less focused on surfers and the surf industry, which as, you know, being um, founded and initiated by surfers in the surf industry and hanging out with surfers, that was kind of the initial thing. And there wasn't much of an industry at the time. So now we've switched our focus to be much more on real estate developers and knowing what it takes to build a surf park is poorly understood. The summit this year is designed for you know, the, the dreamers that make surf parks happen. And, and you've met a bunch of them, Brian, and yeah. <laughs> um, you know, they're, they're an interesting breed of person who take on a task that I'm not sure they know exactly how complex it is at the starting point. Because as, as you know, developing a surf park involves you know, water, land, power, geotechnical mm-hmm. surveys, architecture, master planning, incredibly technical permitting processes, construction, wave generation technologies, safety operations, programming and execution, water filtration, insurance, booking software, FB, yeah. <laughs> hospitality, accommodation, media, events, coaching, uh, video capture, sustainability, and, and there's a bunch more stuff in there as well. We've found it's not unusual for developers to be contracting with 50 or more suppliers of product and services to get a surf park from an idea to commissioning and beyond. So it's a 
complex beast. Mm-hmm. And once a year, Surf Park Summit brings experts in all of those fields who have direct surf park experience into one building on the beach in La Jolla, California. And that's really where the magic happens. Summit is really an ongoing attempt to help surf park developers speed up the process to um, make the right connections, to learn from others who've done it before and avoid mm-hmm. pitfalls and increase the overall success rate for developers. Because at the moment, it appears that somewhere in the realm of 90% of the surf park developments that are conceptualized to the point of pre-development investment are not getting over the line for one reason mm-hmm. or another. So Surf Park Summit is our attempt to, to remedy some of that, give people a leg up, learn, avoid pitfalls, improve success rate, and put essentially buyers and sellers in the development process together to learn from one another and make connections. And I, and I have noticed that in the past like five years since Waypool Mag's been around, how we've uh, seen from our first queries from the general public saying, hey, I've got some land, I want to build a surf pool. It went from being this incredibly, uh, oh yeah, I just dig a hole, <laughs> buy a technology, put it in and we're done. And then over the years, um, it's been revealed how incredibly complicated the process is. And in the in the pools that I've seen that have succeeded, they've all just had, you know, everything happen at the right time and they've, they've had a bit of luck as well so in maybe some of the stories that you've heard with uh developers what are some of the connections that they've been able to make or some of the things they uh users uh supporters have been able to gain from from being at surf park summit sure um so we last year we were interviewing um you know during networking sessions going around interviewing different folks about whether we were kind of meeting expectations and what success looked like for them from attending summit and we heard in multiple cases that projects that were announced at last year's surf park summit had been initiated through meetings that had taken place at the summit the year before So there are actual projects under construction right now that were conceived of and partnerships formed in the networking sessions at Surf Park Summit. Wow, that's great. I mean, to to put some numbers on this, uh, we did an Mm -hmm. exit survey after last year's summit and uh, we got roughly a third of attendees responded to the survey. Of those, 94% rated Surf Park Summit speakers as good or excellent. 99% rated the summit experience as good or excellent. 67% conducted new business while they were there. 96% -hmm. agreed that they formed new and useful relationships. 97% made at least three actionable contacts or relationships and 25% of them made 10 or more actionable relationships um, or contacts and 98% of them planned to return this year. So, wow. you know, I'm, I'm pretty proud of um, that kind of result from the exit survey, and I think it speaks to the value proposition of Summit itself in um, you know, solving that problem of a, a developer with a dream, this enormously complex series of things to go through to, to bring it to completion and putting the right people in the room to help 
developers, experienced or otherwise, come to understand what that is and find the right people to get the job done. Mm-hmm. So, so let's let's look at that. Um, let's take a developer, for example, someone who you know they're getting project going, and who is someone they could meet at Surf Park Summit that would help them get their project to where it needs to be. Sure. Um, so, I mean, we have a, a, a special focus on developers um, this year, which we haven't had in the past. So we're introducing an invite-only developers track this year for developers who are involved in real-life projects. So for people who are experienced developers or doing it for the first time, they can actually apply to participate in this mm-hmm. developers track and have access to experts with real-world experience across all stages and facets of the surf park development. So um, there'll be a series of sessions where only verified developers can participate where it'll go deeper into site selection, financing, construction, design, and operations. Um, Mm -hmm. So people who will be leading these uh, workshops, so real smaller interactive workshops, verified developers and executives from surf park companies who've done this before, including Palm Springs Surf Club, Waco Surf, Wave Garden, Urban Surf, Desert Surf, um, Beach Street Development and you know, others in the room as well. Uh, mm-hmm. It's just a smattering. So, And that's just in the formal part of Surf Park Summit, we've found that a lot of people find the networking to be one of the most important parts of the event as well. So, I mean, there are all kinds of developers, there are investors Mm -hmm. and there are suppliers from all of those, you know, 50 different um, things that need to get done to get a surf park up and running. They're all there to be talked to. Yeah, I've noticed that. Um, I can, from being there last year, from a developer's perspective, I could see where, wow, I have all the major wave technology companies, representatives from each here that I can go up and talk to. And so if I'm considering a technology and but I have a question about, you know, this one thing or maintenance or whatever it is, variability, it's like, oh, there's someone here I can ask them directly and yeah. uh, find that out. Not, you know, not wade through emails. We all have enough emails to <laughs> to go through. Exactly. And, you know, it can be hard to break through with some of the, the busier uh, wave generation technology companies. Yeah. When we started Summit, we used to um, describe the value proposition as being, well, y- you could meet all of the people that you needed to meet um, mm-hmm. to get a project going, but it would probably take two years of global travel and planning and enormous expense, or you could come and meet them all in one day. Mm-hmm. I think now our ROI for attendees is really um, across four areas as mm-hmm. the caliber of our audience and participants has kind of risen and the, the pool has grown of people who are actually have direct experience with surf parks. So I think there's four key areas. There's um, CEO-level networking, so the literal CEOs of the wave generation companies, of the developers, of um, you know, major suppliers, are there. Mm-hmm. There are exclusive insights to be found that you can't find anywhere else and you have interaction with experts and peers. And last year, um, the work that we had done with the surveys and Surfline was uh, one of the more popular um, 
presentations and we'll be doing that again. We have live surveys right now running with Surfline that are more specifically tailored to um, surf park usage, dwell time, spends, what people are spending on um, new 2023 information that I don't have my fingers on the data yet, but we'll be presenting that at Summit mm -hmm. as well. There's the the generation of new business. I mentioned before that you know projects that are under construction now have been conceived at previous surf park summits. I anticipate that that effect is going to continue and increase. And then there's the audience itself. It's a pretty curated audience and kind of has been from the beginning. This is not a 40,000 person conference, you know, mm -hmm. 300, 350 uh, leaders in surf and real estate development. And, you know, some of the inclusions this year, Wave Garden, we've mentioned Beach Street, Endless Surf, um, some new entrants, CBRE, BlackRock, Goldman Sachs, REIT, Real Estate Investment Trust, and, you know, a whole bunch more. So okay. that's what I think is the, the key ROI and the value proposition for people who come to Summit. That's, that's amazing. And I'm sure you've seen it, you know, over the years, how it's, how it's grown. Can you maybe contrast and compare the uh, first few events to what was last year? Last year? Yeah, sure. So our very first Surf Park Summit was in 2013 and we, we did have good attendance, but the attendance was more um, to borrow a line from Wavepool Mag for curiosity and stoke rather than for um, development and and business, hmm. which was fun. Um, but how helpful it was to developers was kind of marginal, I think. Um, there hmm. were wave generation technologies there who hmm. were looking to you know, find investors, find partners, there was some of that, but it, it was limited. But it, you know, it was a good foray into what you know. It was a lot of future casting because there wasn't really in 2013 a new generation surf park out there. Yeah. Kind of Wadi Adventure was the the latest greatest thing. Um, where uh, and then so turned to 2021. Um, pretty good summit unfortunately because of the COVID situation a lot of our international travelers from further afield yourself mm -hmm. included um, and our European friends and our Australian friends were unable to attend so it was a relatively I mean we still had 200 plus people there mm -hmm. um, but then in 2022 um, the, the thing kind of exploded and there was noticeably more people um, a noticeably global participation set and it was it was pretty exciting that's yeah that's cool how it's i remember that from you know the early coming in off the the newswire about sir park summit the first ones that were that you guys had i was not working in wave pool specific media but mainstream surf media at the time and came across since uh it, it was really interesting and knowing you and knowing the space and watching it grow um, these past few years, you know, minus the the big divot called COVID, it's um, it, it's really really quite impressive. And I know that as you've evolved the event and as the event has changed, you um, you have so, some new like VIP things happening this year. My next, yeah, we're we're pretty excited about that. We've often had you know some VIP elements, but we're 
stepping it up this year. There's going to be a, a standalone VIP afternoon on Monday, September 18th, which is the, the first day. The, the full program will run 19th and 20th. But on uh, Monday, the 18th of September, uh, we'll be coming on down to the Scripps Forum. Uh, again, you know, it's right on the beach there in La Jolla for those who don't know, right at the surf break Scripps. Yeah, it's a, about- it's, yeah, it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful location. The ocean is right there. It's got a nice lawn area and uh, it's just, yeah, it's, it, it's really truly a, a nice space. And the, the surf can be good out the front. It hasn't been for the last two summers. But, uh, <laughs> I've yet I mean, to see that. Yeah, hopefully, uh, you know, slightly different timing this year, a little earlier, maybe we'll be lucky. Okay, I'll um, check but the in, forecast. What, what kind of swell do we need for it to work uh, there? Well, a, a combo swell is, is usually the best for the beach breaks in San okay. Diego. So, um, you know, a little bit of north, a little bit of south, and then we, okay. we get lo- lovely A-frames. So okay, if you could put I'll... an order in, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep tabs on it. So the, the VIP event's going to involve um, interactic, interactive deep dives into the data. The, the VIPs will mm-hmm. be getting a uh, preliminary report from the data that is out being collected right now. Um, we're going to be putting groups of individuals together in roundtable format. And they're going to be participating in multidisciplinary workshops focused on solving key issues in the industry right now. So we're Mm -hmm. going to look at who we have in the room, put different groups of people together at at tables and have discussion points for them. And we'll be rotating through that. So it'll have uh, a high-level networking function. Plus, there'll be this um, interactive problem solving based on the newest data that we have available to us. And again, it's so new, I haven't analyzed it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're also going to be looking to parallel industries in uh, in this summit, and we're, we're going to be looking at the ski industry in particular um, this go around. And we've brought Jeff Pensiero in from Baldface Lodge mm-hmm. uh, in Canada. And for those who don't know, this is... The the premier Helicat um, ski resort in North America, and he built this up from nothing. That industry did not exist in North America uh, until he kind of brought it to fruition with a few others. And so he's had experience building a world leading attraction that is anchored in recreation from the ground up, from nothing. And this place is booked out years in advance with a waiting list of uh, hundreds of people. And the experience there is really what people come away with. Um, he's kind of giving people the best day of their life every day of the year, and that, that is his intent, and he goes after it in, in that mm-hmm. way. So he has, a, I think, an interesting angle to bring. And also in that he, along with his contemporaries in North America, created this new um, niche within the ski industry that didn't exist here before. It had existed mm-hmm. to a certain extent in Europe, and they had some folks from Europe come over and kind of help out, but they built this thing and they didn't see um, other Helicat um, destinations as competitors, which I think is something that surf parks could um, you know, take a leaf from and learn a little bit. Mm-hmm. They saw things like golf and other activities as, um, as competition, but they were an industry that was cohesive and helped each other and, and spoke highly of each other and never dissed each other publicly because they were looking to grow that industry that's, as a whole. That's great. So I think Jeff is, uh, is a very 
charismatic um, speaker, a really informative guy. Uh, that's going to be a great session. So he'll be along and, and giving a talk. Then after those components, we're um, going to take everybody over to Aaron Chang's photography gallery in Solana Beach. Mm-hmm. So um, Aaron's a world famous initially surf photographer and now kind of art photographer with a, an ocean and beach and nature theme and uh, to beautiful Solana Beach, which is also home to American Wave Machines, KS Wave Co. and just down the road from Beach Street, Surflock, Flowrider and Endless Surf. So it's a real mm-hmm. surf park hub as well. Wow, that's great. Is Aaron going to be there to uh, to talk be- about as well? I work? believe so, yeah. Um, Aaron has uh, been a speaker at our 2016 mm-hmm. Surf Park Summit in Orlando, so he's a, he's a fan and a participant in what we do. Yeah, yeah, he's great. We've uh, we've pinged uh, emails a few times, and uh, he's, he, he's interested in, in the space. Um, going back to comparisons to the ski industry, uh, with wave pools, there seems to be a, a lot of people either draw from the golf industry or draw from the ski industry. And no one's quite, um, which, which is great. They're both very different, but they're both, it illustrates that um, the industry kind of doesn't know where it is yet, <laughs> possibly. And with the surf parks that we have, um, you know, the urban surf model same technology, but vastly different than the wave. Um, Alaya Bay in Switzerland is, is totally different than, uh, Kelly Slater wave company. Um, is it, what is looking at individual surf parks? I know this is off our notes and it's off topic, but I have you here and I'm just curious because <laughs> I love you. Yeah. I love your opinion, uh, Jess. And so, Looking at that, do you do you think there's a one size fits all for for wave pool developments? No, and I don't I don't think there should be. Um, you know, I think that there are certain projects for which certain wave generation technologies and certain business models are going to make more sense. Um, but there are, uh, and almost, you know, we're only really limited by our our creativity. Uh, and our imagination at this point as to what those business models may look like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people didn't think that um, the KS Waveco technology would ever be a technology that would be successful beyond um, the prototype. And it, it turns out that you can build an incredible um, experience, a very high-end experience, but you know, have that kind of be a legitimate thing where you're only dealing with, you know, maximum of 20 guests over a 24 hour period and you can still make mm-hmm. it work as compared with more of the urban surf model with um kind of bums on seats seats and people through turnstiles um you know uh the proposed well in in construction houston project similarly you know much more of a let's let's get everybody involved and have this be a kind of a public asset for the community versus some of those in um brazil which seem to be um, kind of breeding like rabbits because the model is so mm-hmm. lucrative for the people who are putting them together. That is kind of the, the private real estate development model. Mm-hmm. And then there's hybrids in between as well. Um, so, you know, Desert Surf is kind of like that hybrid where there is some um, uh, private real estate components to that. And then there's also a tourism component to that as well, slightly higher end um, than the more uh, open to the, the general public model, but somewhere in the middle. And, you know, 
between the different technologies, you know, they can produce lots and lots of waves all at once to really perfect waves, highly variable waves. I think they're all going to appeal to different people in different ways. Um, we're going to want to try different technologies and keep it fresh and move between them, in my opinion. And I think there's lots of scope for different business models and the different technologies, different size pools. Uh, yeah, I, I, the short answer to all of that is no, I don't think there's a one size fits all. And <laughs> I, I don't think that would be the way to go. I think we, we need to get as creative as possible to create all kinds of kick-ass surf park experiences. Okay. And and going into that, it, it's my next question, seeing as that um, is not a one-size-fits-all, do you think the investment community or development community would be more comfortable in the surf park, wave pool space if there was kind of a, a rubber stamp, one-size-fits-all? You know, you could churn them out like a McDonald's or churn them out like a Top Golf, you know, that sort of thing. I mean, I suppose so. That would um, that would definitely make it easier, wouldn't it? It's like here's the book, here's the numbers, um, <laughs> here's what it looks like with this particular demographic. I mean, that would take a bit more of the guesswork out of it. Yeah. Um, but I think we'll see these different business models, you know, being successful, and they I don't think we're too far away from having the right kind of track record that um, investors and you know the the holy grail of institutional investment can look to and say oh this this model works in in the right demographics and areas with these mm-hmm. you know cost points um so we'll invest in that with a high degree of certainty that we're going to um, get the return on investment that we're looking for uh, it is taking you know the the brave new face to take those risks up front but i think the mm-hmm. it's being borne out over and over again that Surf parks are um, good investments, and yeah. that there lots of different business models have been and are being successful. So, what um, over a, a, another question, just because uh, we value your perspective so much, is what have you seen in the space in the past year that has really impressed you? Good question. Um, I think you know I, I have a. Um, I have a bias towards um, sustainability, as you know, mm-hmm. um, and I've That's been a very, very important aspect to to everything we're doing here. I believe so. Um, probably, you know, I think my biases run a little deeper than most, but that's okay. Um, so there's <laughs> been some, I think, pretty Im- impressive examples of sustainability being integrated into surf parks. So we've had the wave. Um, talk mm-hmm. about its um, on-site solar generation that can make yeah. itself sufficient from a power perspective. To me, that's a, a massive breakthrough. Um, the lineup at Waikai is doing some mm-hmm. impressive work with sustainable surf in terms of, um, I know they don't like to use the term carbon offsetting, but I do think that's what it is. They prefer to think about it as wiping out your carbon footprint. Um <laughs> But yeah, so I think, um, you know, that is also good. And I think that uh, I'm being encouraged by the uptake of Stoke certified by surf parks in development, but then also Mm -hmm. by suppliers, which is something that we hadn't seen before is, um, you know, interest of suppliers to the industry looking to be recognized as sustainable solutions to, um, various supply chain issues that surf parks face um 
So from water filtration to um, alternative forms of energy generation, there's a number of suppliers that are, are on board and helping to get the message across about there are sustainable solutions out there. People want to provide them. The market is looking for them. And things like Stoke can provide that um, more comprehensive system of looking at everything. Mm-hmm. But then these suppliers and organisations like Sustainable Surf have great solutions that can be implemented to help raise the sustainability performance of surf parks um, you know, through the build and then out into operations. So that, yeah, and a lot has happened this year with uh, technology kept uh, catching up with being able to uh, to produce more efficiently and then the wave just, you know, going all in with, with yeah. their facility, which is wonderful news and such a great example where applicable with uh, within the space. For um, sure, and just uh, on that, while we're talking about 10 years of Surf Park Summit, at the very first mm-hmm. 2013 Surf Park Summit, um, we we had uh, Nick and mm-hmm. um, Nick Hounsfield. There's a lot of Nicks yeah. in that project. Um, <laughs> five Nicks at uh, yeah. the wave. <laughs> and then also Chris Hines, who was the founder of Surfers Against Sewage, a very mm-hmm. well-known um, environmental um, a surf conservation organization in the UK, were speakers at the first Surf Park Summit um, talking about their vision for, um, I don't think it was called The Wave at the time, but whatever their, maybe it was, whatever their their project was called, and they kind of went through several technology changes in the meantime. But they had that vision for high-end sustainability right from the beginning, and that's why Chris Hines was involved um, and he was talking at the time and said, you know, quite controversially for 2013 that he didn't think surf parks should be built if they weren't using renewable energy, if that wasn't their mm-hmm. game plan from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 10 years later, full circle there they are, <laughs> fully self-sufficient. It's good stuff. Oh, wow. That's great. So uh, before I let you go, I'm going to hit on uh, one, mo- one more thing, and that is um, culturally. Like uh, we've seen a lot of parks open up in new places. Um, there'll be a Kelly's in the Middle East. There'll be, we're just about to post it, an endless surf in the Middle East. And uh, then in Middle America, Surf Atlanta is coming along, Surf Houston, Waikai. I was there and it's um, a standing wave, but it's really created like kind of a whole scene. Like when there's no surf, everyone shows up and... Um, Kelly Slater showed up when, at the same time I was there. So it's, oh, it's cool. become this hub. Um, and there's a whole culture, you know, springing around that. What have you seen anything culturally within wave pools in the past few years that has kind of kind of made you stop and and think and say, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. I think, you know, I think the. The stories that exist now are, are, are kind of out there. I think, um, you know, so, you know, the guy in Texas who surfs really well and gets barreled and didn't learn in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met some folks at Surf Snowdonia, you know, eight, seven, eight years ago who were surfing pretty reasonably and had never surfed in the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, Wave Park in South Korea uh, appears to be creating, There, there has been, you know, something of a surf scene in Korea for a while, but this is creating, um, you know, a, a hub for it where yeah. people who live in Seoul don't have to go and, 
necessarily freeze during the wintertime on the coast. They can uh, come to the wave park and Koreans when they get into something like Mm -hmm. double down and perfect it. So I would not be surprised to see like really impressive Korean surfers uh, coming out of, of wave park in the not too distant future. I'm looking forward to going and seeing that scene that's developing around that. Yeah. Now the, the middle America developments that you mentioned and the middle East, I mean, that mm -hmm. is going to be fascinating. What does the uptake look like and, and what happens to these populations of people? Because, um, you know, I've been advocating to developers for some time that there's a real value add for these new populations of surfers around these mm -hmm. new areas where it is going to be a brand new and weird thing for them to mm. plug them into what surfing offers which is that it is a thousands of years old indigenous sport. Water slides mm -hmm. don't have that. Um, no. Wave parks don't have that. Very few sports have that history. And, you know, 35 million plus surfers in the world today, they're plugged into this community of people who are tapping into this sacred indigenous pastime that is intimately linked to some of the most beautiful places in the world in the marine and coastal environments and that those environments are facing challenges that surfers get wound up about because we don't want to be seeing these places get destroyed so another value add in my opinion for those new communities of surfers mm -hmm. is to plug them into those issues and give them opportunities to be involved with people who are doing things about those. So imagine you're in Atlanta and you're educated about the, the history of this thousands of year old sport that is indigenous to West Africa, Polynesia, Melanesia, possibly China, um, you know, many, many places, um, South America, um, that this is indigenous to. That's a big thing to plug into and you can become part of a community of people who are nurturing the cradle of the sport in various places around the world. So I think um, culturally it would be really interesting to see what happens there and that if the surf parks embrace that idea of this gigantic value add and mm -hmm. more than people coming and riding a wave in the pool, they become part of a global community of people who give a shit about certain environments, I think mm. that's going to be pretty powerful. Um, let's see how that pans out. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I um, always hope that's the uh, the scenario, that that is nurtured and grows within people who take up surfing away from the ocean and uh, it becomes something that they hold dear and yeah. uh, develop throughout their life. I, I think that, you know, for people to really engage with surf parks on an ongoing basis, the surfing part will need to be come part of their identity mm. and you know the sport part they're getting better at the physical movement um and and noticing that improvement within yourself i think is you know, that'll go part of the way mm -hmm. but those other parts i think are what one can really invest in um you know a new or an evolving identity within yourself and once that becomes part of your identity um, for the surf parks in regions where there is no oceanic alternative um, that's going to be a powerful way to guarantee repeat visitorship and really enthusiastic um, customers on an ongoing basis 
And it, and it looks like we're, we're on our way to, uh, to having that happen. <laughs> I, be- I believe so. Cause you know, for me, the, like I said, the sustainability imperative of that, if we can create whole new populations and demographics of, uh, coastal and marine conservationists, that's kind of, uh, my secret plan for world domination, but I also think it's going to be really good for the surf parks f- for people to be able to, um, you know, form identities around that and get involved. Mm-hmm. It's going to help with repeat visitation. But then I also think on the level of the people visiting, um, you know, identifying as a surfer and having these um, experiences that can also set you up for experiences in nature is just a really good thing in terms of well-being um and Mm. and health so i think there's a a triple thread of benefits there wow well i um want to see that uh happen and i will see you at surf park summit and i'm gonna peel you away from you know your busy duties there and and talk about the big picture stuff because i always love doing that with you jess (laughs) sounds good brian i can't wait to uh have a drink in the uh the afternoon glow of uh la jolla yeah yeah it is pretty magical there so um thank you very much for taking time out of your morning and uh joining us here always a pleasure brian good to see you mate okay cheers jess cheers mate